Hey, motherfucker. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I am Troy Harkin. And this is our Bruce Willis retrospective, where there's a Willis, there's a way. What you talking about, Willis? We're recording it on Wednesday, April 6th, 2022, and it is scheduled for broadcast sometime during the summer of 2022. There is no episode number attached to this episode since we do not know when we will release it. We do not have a special guest for this episode. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. Many, many spoilers to come, so I'm pushing the spoiler alert button. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! All righty. Thanks, Troy. We are recording the session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency, Troy and David, well, David's me. I've known each other for a long time, and we're not going to introduce our special guest. I'm going to start with my quotes, which I like to do during most of the episodes. Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with a speculative genre, to recall these times with fondness and affection. I've got two quotes. One is an actual quote from Bruce Willis to Us Magazine, issue 249. Bruce Willis said, you can't undo the past, but you can certainly not repeat it. I like it. And I have another quote. This one is from an article called In Praise of the Irreplaceable Bruce Willis, Hollywood's Golden Boy of Cinema by Kevin, posted end of March 2022 on the website newswwc.com. That's N-E-W-S-W-W-C dot com. Lest we all forget, it should go without saying that Willis has been in some of the most fantastic films of all time, from Pulp Fiction to The Sixth Sense and beyond. He can do horror and action, science fiction and drama, all with a cutting sense of humor and gravitas that remains unmatched. There just are so many moments that make Willis such a deceptively dynamic performer. He plays characters that draw you in with a wicked charm and others who blow you away with a genuine sense of heart. In all his roles, Willis instills each film with an energy that could bring any story to life and leave you in awe of just what he brings to the table. He is irreplaceable and will always be a presence all his own. So Troy and I are going to look at the career of Bruce Willis from the genres we care most about, the genres that we cover in our podcast, which are science fiction, fantasy, horror, and their combinations of sub-genres. Troy, is there anything that you would like to add? Well, I, I will say that, um, Dave, you impressed me the way you can throw something together because we were talking just a few hours ago about, hey, you want to do this? You, get, you want to fly by the seat of our pants and do this? And you did a great job there of... Uh, getting an intro together but yeah in in light of the uh, the recent news about uh bruce willis being diagnosed with aphasia um and that he would be retiring uh from filmmaking immediately uh i, I thought that it might be appropriate to uh put something t- together like a little special retrospective that would look back uh primarily on his work in genre in the genre those genres that we cover but also uh his sort of impact through uh his greater body of work as well 
Um, so yeah, I'm glad we're we're here to to throw this together and to share in the uh, career of Bruce Willis with folks. Yeah, I'm glad that you had this idea and contacted me and we've sort of thrown this together. So apologies for any faux pas or any any uh, momentary lapses. We're both getting, you know, we are too, um, in quotes, old farts. So sometimes we forget things or make and one thing recently in a recent podcast, I was mentioning how much I love the film Total Recall, and I was referring to Kuatu as Quaid, and of course Quaid was a Schwarzenegger mm. character. So sometimes, you know, we make uh, mistakes and we have to own up to it. And then I definitely have to see the film again. So what I was hoping yeah. to do, uh, I was going to say, say, Dave, in terms of our, if we're doing uh, mea culpas, yeah. um, a friend of mine uh, was saying how much, and again, we're not sure when this episode will air. Um, but we recently, at the time of recording, um, did a fantasy countdown. And uh, I included being John Malkovich. Ah! Malkovich. Malkovich. Yeah, uh, during on the episode, list. you kept saying Malkovic, and yeah. I would correct you and say, why are you saying oh, Malkovic? Please, Malkovic? yeah, smack me around. Let me, yeah, if I do that again, because, yeah, my friend Pat was saying, uh, uh, you know, it was driving him nuts every time I would say Malkovic, um, and I told him I promised I would write on the chalkboard a hundred times, it is pronounced Malkovic, it is pronounced Malkovic, um, and I, uh, anyway. Uh, so yeah, we are prone to, to error being human. Um, so, uh, sorry, David, I, I sort of cut you off with that little bit. No, no, so. no, no, don't worry. I thought that you would, you would start because what we're doing is we're looking at, at, at Bruce Willis and we are going to try to concentrate on the sort of science fiction fantasy horror, but we should actually just start at the beginning. This should almost be a two part episode actually, but we should start at the beginning and even though it's not even though some episodes were a bit odd and interesting and there's a series i never watched i don't know troy if you watched moonlighting or not that's sort of where we were first really introduced to and there were some cool episodes from what i understand that did push you know boundaries and and were sort of outside the box so do you have anything to say about moonlighting at all well i wasn't an in-depth fan of the series but i certainly like sybil shepherd and um well did you want to mention the twilight zone because if we're doing this oldest to most yeah and i think it's funny because i was looking at my notes this may not be right but i believe the twilight zone episode may have predated um moonlighting because i have moonlighting as 85 to 89 and my note for the twilight zone episode was from 1984. Now, when we say The Twilight Zone, there may be some of you that either don't know or do not remember that it was rebooted, relaunched in the 1980s. Uh, There was a huge sort of um, renaissance for The Twilight Zone and all things anthology uh, in the early 80s for a number of reasons. There were a few films that started to to do it the twilight zone uh, went into syndication at a really broad level so it exposed people like myself to the series who you know weren't alive during the original run um and so cbs decided 
they would reboot the series. Um, and Harlan Ellison, the award-winning sci-fi writer, was the script uh, editor for the show or script supervisor. And um, so the first episode was an adaptation of one of his stories, Shatterday, and that's in from, from the collection of Ellison stories called Shatterday. Some push for what they need. Some push for what they want. Some people like Peter J. Novins just push. If they do it hard enough and long enough, something might just push back from the Twilight Zone. Um, and it's about this character who, who he, you know, he's a he's sort of a yuppie, you know, success at all costs type of thing person. And he experiences this week where basically, first of all, he is locked out of his apartment and then he tries to call his girlfriend at his apartment, but he answers. Damn. What? Dialed the number I know best instead of Jamie's office. I dialed my own number. Did you ever do that? Hello? I'm sorry. I must have dialed the wrong number. What number did you want? Klondike 5, 6189. This is Klondike 5, 6189. Who are you calling? Nah, I must have dialed wrong. This can't be Klondike 5-6189. Yeah? That's the number you've reached. Who did you want? I wasn't calling anybody at this number. Wait a minute. Are you sure this is Klondike 5-6189? <laughs> I think I know my own number, pal. Who are you? Peter Novins. Who are you? I'm Peter Novins. And as the episode goes on, basically this uh, sort of dastardly character is replaced by a better version of himself. And in the episode, um, Willis plays both the good and the bad version of the character. Hmm. Um, And he does a great job. I mean, it was a really uh, nice way to kick off the relaunch of the 80s uh, Twilight Zone, and I and I do have that one, and I'll I'll try to include a clip. Why are you doing this to me? Got it all wrong, Novins. You did this to yourself. That sounds great. Um... So Willis was was offered the role in in Die Hard as John McClane. Uh, Die Hard came out in 1988 and a number of different people were offered the script prior to him, including uh, like the heavy hitters of action. Uh, Clint Eastwood was offered the script. He turned it down. Stallone was offered the script. He turned it down. Schwarzenegger was offered the script. He turned it down. And, um, you know, Willis jumped at it and supposedly in when the trailer aired, people were laughing because it was like, oh, it's that guy from Moonlighting. What's going on here? So the, the producers were kind of worried and had no idea that it would become the cash cow and the uh, the classic that it did. Um, and, you know, and this is the thing about Willis. It's amazing that nowadays we think of him and, and in my mind, I, I put him in a category with, with the uh, alpha male bad boys of film. You know, so he, he is in a small group with people like Bogart, Clint Eastwood, Charles Bronson. Um, 
you know, and unlike people like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, those four were not like built up and super uh, muscular. It was all about just their presence, their on-screen presence, where you had this sense of, I don't want to fuck with this guy because he's going to throw me off a building or something, you know? Um, and that's that's pretty exclusive company. After oh, and Die, Die Hard is considered one of the possibly the greatest film but certainly in the top five or ten action films of all time um and it totally reinvented the action film yes and that also helps when you have someone like alan rickman there um well written well acted the the, the whole thing was just um and even the sequel the the the, the first sequel the die hard 2 with the airport at the airport was really strong as well so yeah certainly if you're going to have that film and the second one and you're the main actor in that, you can basically write your ticket at that point. And people forget, you know, they being however many years it is down the road now, almost 40 years, I suppose um, you forget that he was not, he was not a movie star at the time. And, and Rickman also was, this was his, his first film, basically Um, you, you think, you look at it now and you go, Oh man, Alan Rickman and, and uh, McLean is Bruce Willis. This is amazing. But you know, this was not a sure thing at the time. Anyway. So yeah, I guess before 12 monkeys, then we have uh, uh, die hard Two, bonfire, the vanities um, pulp fiction was 94 where he played the character, Butch Coolidge um, die hard with, a Vengeance was with Samuel L. Jackson, and then we hit 12 Monkeys. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, just a, a, a bit. It's it's um, one of the strongest of the films. Based on IMDb rating, the only ones that are the only one above it on his list of films that I have here is his genre films. There's about 15 of them. The only one that's higher rated is The Sixth Sense. And an even rating on 12 Monkeys is Sin City. So that's how good a uh, film 12 Monkeys is. It was such an unusual. Now, uh, you recall the director, right? Of which? Oh, of 12 Monkeys? Yeah. Yeah, it's Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And so that's you not know, his touch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, when you look at Gilliam's uh, filmography. You know, yeah, we almost viewed a podcast episode just on, on, on Terry Gilliam because for sure there. And 12 Monkeys, I would just have to watch it again because it's been so long since I've seen it. And I understand, you know, th- with the time travel element, the, the, the fact that it's really says something about today because there was that pandemic and that issue in 12 Monkeys that they're trying to resolve. And here we are in April of 2022. Mm-hmm. We recorded this episode, even though this episode will be broadcast later, that we're coming out of a two year long epidemic where 800,000 plus Americans have died from the, from uh, the COVID and everything that's gone through it um, that, you know, something like 12 monkeys still has resonance. 5 billion people died in 1996 and 1997. Almost the entire population of the world. Only about 1% of us survived. Are you going to save us, Mr. Cole? How can I save you? This already happened. I can't save you. Nobody can. 
I am simply trying to gather information to help the people in the present trace the path of the virus. We're not in the present now, Mr. Cole? No. 1990 is the past. This already happened. That's what I'm trying to do. Mr. Cole? Mr. Cole, you believe 1996 is the present then? Is that it? No, 1996 is the past too. Listen to me. What I... What I... What I need to do is make a telephone call. I, I can straighten this all out if I make a telephone call. Who would you call? Who would straighten everything out? The scientists. Oh. They'll want to know that they sent me at the wrong time. I can leave a voicemail message that they monitor from the present. Can I just make one telephone call, please? Please. And, and one of the great things about 12 Monkeys, too, is that we have both Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis trying to um, show that they have more breadth than just these. Well, in the case of Pitt, that he's just sort of like, a, uh, you know, the male model. <laughs> and with with Willis, that he's more than just the action star, um, which he'd only been for a few years at that point. But, um, yeah, a great vehicle for both of them. Absolutely. And then we have uh, one of my favorite films, uh, The Fifth Element, where he plays Corbin Dallas. Um, and that was, it's funny because you and I both often uh, mix up, uh, uh, it's Luke, yeah, Luke Besson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and not uh, Denny Villeneuve, but we. I, I am prone to, yeah, screwing those two up. Um, I just love that film. I will watch it whenever it's on. It's just like, it has this energy that flows. It's got a great look to it. Uh, Ian Holm is wonderful in it. Uh, Gary uh, Oldman, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, again, you know, at some point we should look at uh, the career of, of Gary Oldman because there's so much great uh, genre stuff there as well. Yes. Um, the Fifth Element is just one rousing story that just goes. The pacing is fantastic. Those unusual aliens that are hobbling you know it's left to right as they as they go towards the pyramid and stuff like that yeah the actual ending we've talked about the fifth element because i think the fifth element certainly appe appeared in your top 10 i think in science fiction films i'm trying to remember if it was in mine but certainly it rated very highly because it is that good even the you know for people who don't or cannot stand opera and cannot stand that style of music were captivated by the scene where the um, person is singing that 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 opera song that the person that I think has a blue um, right skin yeah and it's I, I'm sorry we're just doing this from you know off the top of our head so I can't remember the name of the character in that holy amnesia every aspect of it uh it's just a great action film but with a lot of heart and it's very powerful and emotion what the actual fifth element is yeah i think if my perfect sci-fi film that would appeal to my sensibilities would be a mashup of the fifth element and brazil and uh i mentioned in one of our recent shows how i i always have to be careful that I'm not cribbing something that was already in Brazil because I'm so influenced by it. Well, that's true of the fifth element as well. And that's why for me, the perfect 
sci-fi vehicle would be a combination somehow of Fifth Element and Brazil. Yeah, and the actress, um, I'm trying to remember her name now, um, that played Lilu. Uh, Mila Jovovich. Is it, is it Vich or Vic? Is it like, like Malkovic? Yeah, Jojo Vic. <laughs> Just yeah. imagine yeah. your friend saying, why do you keep saying Jojo Vic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Lilu. Yeah, I know. Multipass. It's like yeah. whenever I like am <laughs> having to show some sort of ID, I always want to just go multipass. Multipass. Woo! Made it. I, I was so afraid I wasn't going to make this flight. So I sent uh, David here yeah. to come and pick up my boarding uh, pass. But, um, but, but now uh, David has to go. Thank you. Bye. I am Corbin Dallas. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Yeah. Multipass. Lila, uh, multipass. You know this Multipass. Lilu Dallas, my wife. We're newlywed. Yes, and, and we should do one episode just on taxis or taxi drivers or vehicles or cars because this one has Bruce Willis as a, basically a, a taxi driver. Yeah. And, of course, it was a taxi driver in a Total Recall. Um, this kind of cab-like thing. And yeah. the, the real guy who's, who claimed to be a taxi driver said, well, why are you driving in this robot one? I have a family to feed and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, even just the apartment that Bruce Willis has. I think basically oh, yeah. The future where it's so small that yeah. you've got, you know, do you want to describe it a bit? or? Oh, well, it's like, it's sort of like one of those Tokyo hotel rooms almost where it's like, you know, the length of, uh, or the width of a broom closet and, you know, the shorter than a, a garage for sure. But yeah, isn't there like a, a bed, not a Murphy bed, but I think the bed is like a drawer. I think it like pulls out like a drawer and then the fridge is like either right on top of it or very close to it, you know? And I think there's all of those sort of uh, elements are on one wall. And then, then you've just got a wall on the other side about like three to four feet away <laughs> yeah yeah and i love when that uh guy comes to hold him up knocks on his door and he yeah. wants to hold him up and then bruce willis just sort of like smacks him around and t- uh, disarms him and takes his gun and tells him to hit the road yeah there you go give me the gas <laughs> That's a very dangerous gun. Yeah. Maybe you better let me hang on to this one for you, huh? You don't mind, do you? No. You sure? No. Take it. I don't need it. That's a very nice hat. You like it? Uh, next film on my list, uh, even though it's not as genre as it probably as the other ones, is Mercury Rising. You just have a, a young um, a kid, uh, maybe 10, 12 years old, that has autism and is able to see some sort of formula or be able to figure something out that puts him at risk because it's something that is a major secret or something within the government. And I think um, Bruce Willis's character is trying to protect him from the forces that want to do him harm. And I think it's sort of genre enough. Um, yeah, it sounds like I it. have it on my list. But the next big one for me is Armageddon. And just imagine 12 Monkeys in 95, Fifth Element in 97, and Armageddon in 98. 
um, this string of films, and then eventually Sixth Sense in '99, and so on. But we're on to Armageddon. So, what do you think? Are you a fan? Because some people are not don't like it as much as others. Well, that's the year that uh, the the two uh, meteor films came out, the asteroid films. The well, and so I one, prefer Deep Impact myself. So do I. So do I. I'm a big fan of Deep Impact. Um, you know, Armageddon is definitely sort of has that blockbuster feel. I think uh, Deep Impact took itself in a good way more seriously, and Armageddon was just trying to be um, basically uh, uh, an Independence Day type of blockbuster. How big? It's what we call a global killer. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. The United States government just asked us to save the world. Anybody want to say no? You think we'll get hazard pay out of this? do it they've made a few requests though such as oscar here has got some outstanding parking tickets and max would like you to bring back eight track tapes not sure if that's gonna work yeah one more thing um none of them want to pay taxes again ever i'm marrying you you bet you are <laughs> bruce willis philly bob thornton Liv tyler Ben Affleck, Will Patton, and Steve Buscemi. Whoa, this is so much fun, it's freaky. All the time in the world. We have 18 minutes to zero barrier. He's all they've got. We all gotta die, right? I'm the guy who gets to do it saving the world. But it is amazing when you like look at that cast, and of course, it's it's a Michael Bay film, and it's Jerry Bruckheimer producing. Uh, so yeah, like I actually started to rewatch it today because I think I've only ever seen it on AMC, you know, so sans swearing and with copious ads. So I started to re- rewatch it about two hours ago, and um, yeah, I was immediately struck with how uh, it was not a very uh, bright film shall we say <laughs> like even within the first 20 minutes it felt like oh this oh that doesn't make sense that that doesn't make sense even when uh, the bruce willis character who finds his daughter played by Liv tyler in bed with uh, ben affleck um he goes and he grabs like a shotgun and they're on an oil rig they're on an oil rig out in the ocean and bruce willis is firing off a shotgun in every direction on this oil rig which didn't seem to me to make a lot of sense um but um hey it's bruce willis and it's in a it's a a big dumb blockbuster so that's awesome and it's certainly uh you know it's still being played on amc and certainly i'm sure made a shitload of money yeah heroic uh and um bruce willis's character is very heroic um and um billy bob thornton is good in it also yeah. steve buscemi's in it oh my goodness i am the walrus yeah it's, it's one of those ones where it's like almost everybody on screen is somebody yeah and it's not as uh you know jingoistic or as bad a film as some people may uh, make out plus the song itself was a right. huge 
huge yeah. song. Yeah, even just watching the first 10 minutes or so, I already had the Aerosmith song playing in my head. You know, like that's that's the impact of that uh, of that film. And I'm going to watch the rest of it too, because sometimes you just need a film like that to sort of turn your brain off to and let it wash over you. You know, let the explosions happen. What the fuck is he um, talking about? And I had forgotten about Breakfast of Champions. The, yeah, I missed it, but it's a 4.5 rating, which is about yeah. as low a rating as I've seen <laughs> on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, I've never read the book, but I think there's enough odd, strange reality, odd things that make it almost fit within our genre kind mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, for you don't sure. Know what's real and what isn't. Yeah, with Vonnegut. That's right. Absolutely. So yeah, that's one that I'm looking forward to, to checking out. I've I've decided um, that Christy and I are going to be doing a uh, uh, a Bruce Willis either rewatch or checking out things that we haven't seen. So she's a big Vonnegut fan. So I think we'll we'll look into Breakfast of Champions at some point. You have a secret, but you don't want to tell me. I see dead people walking around like regular people. I don't see anything. Are you sure they're there? They're everywhere. They want me to do things for them. I think that they know that you're one of these very rare people who can see them. So you need to help them. What if they don't want to help? I don't think that's the way it works. How do you know for sure? Not every gift. Is anyone there? It's a blessing. No! The sixth sense. Please make them clean. I'm working on it. Now, you know, I would have thought, it's funny how things get scrambled in your memory. I would have thought sixth sense was pre-Armageddon, but it's not. I mean, it's only a year difference, but, you know, it's one of the things that I like about Willis's decisions with scripts, where, and you see a lot of, uh, you know, big names in Hollywood do this where they will do a film like Armageddon to pay the bills for a few years. And then they will do a smaller film Mm. that has, you know, that's a great script. And I don't, I mean, nobody could have foreseen the success that the sixth sense had. Um, Geez, I'm trying to remember if it came out the same year as the Blair Witch Project, but those two films really did reinvigorate the horror genre uh at the end of the century the last century yeah um, the sixth sense is worth a, a rewatch for any of our fans who may have watched it when it first came out and it's since you already have seen it and you know that it's sort of hard to watch something again when you already know the ending but mm. the part of it is is the as as um garrett wong's character uh ensign kim on voyager said to the journey so it's actually the journey of the film and what what M. Night Shyamalan did. It's so understated and so brilliantly done. And I for was one person who did not see, and I, we did say spoiler alert, but this is one we're not going to spoil. But there is a change at the end that I did not see coming. Now, my wife's mother and my wife went to see it. And... And Alexa's mother mentioned during the film, by the way, and then she just said what she thought the ending was. Right. So now he spoiled it or something. Now, like did that. they see it at a point in which 
in which the uh, you know there had already been coverage about the O. Henry ending. No, no, no. Well, they, they did not know what was going to happen. Okay, because I have to say, watching it, I, it, I did it see out. it. Yeah. I did see it. Uh, sort of where maybe this is even the first time I, I'd heard discussions about spoilers and spoiler alerts was maybe yeah. back or, or for this film, um, and and I do remember the press saying things like you know, there's a big surprise ending. There's a big O. Henry ending. Um, so because I knew even that much, I was, I was sort of looking for it. And yeah. then that I found that became a thing with all of his films. It's like you immediately almost stop paying attention to the story and you start looking for, the okay. Twist. Yeah. Where was the twist? The twilight zone where yeah. it's a cookbook kind of thing. You're sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To serve man. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a great film and it is really understated. Also, Tony Collette is in that. I think it might be her first North American film, or it's definitely an early North American film after Muriel's Wedding, uh, which was her big breakout film, but in Australia. Um, and I just love Tony Collette. Um, our next film on our list in terms of uh, Bruce Willis's genre films is one of my favorite uh, superhero films. Mm. And and at some point, I'm hoping in the summer, we can do uh, a list of our top 10 superhero films. Um, and uh, yeah, this would definitely be there for me. This, this film, uh, I don't know, I, I think a friend of mine might have recommended it. Mm. And and the nice thing was he didn't tell me anything about it other than you should watch this film. Oh, and this is also it's just uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, follow up to Sixth Sense, and you know, as a follow up, pretty good. Eh? I know what's going through your mind right now. You're searching for meaning in all of this. No one thing. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Are you ready for the truth? Yeah, and and, and again, very understated mm. um, and beautifully acted by, by Bruce Willis. Mm. Um, I have not seen it for a while. I've seen the... the uh, uh, two other films in the trilogy, but I've not gone back uh, to watch Unbreakable for a while. And I probably, if we do do our superhero uh, favorites, I will definitely give it a rewatch. Uh, I, I love the fact that, you know, you don't even realize that basically you are watching a superhero film for the vast majority of it. <laughs> yeah, which is and, brilliant. Yeah. But there's that scene early on, and it's not really a spoiler, but I think it's quite brilliant where eventually it's dawned on him or someone has mentioned that, you know what, you're, you're pretty much someone who never gets sick. Like, like you're just like nothing can phase you or affect you. And he's, and then Willis goes to his supervisor and says, you know what? I was just wondering how many days off have I ever been sick? And what the supervisor goes back, finds out all the stuff and says, okay, I just real, you know, you actually have not missed one day of work in however number of years. And then the supervisor took that or manager took that as Willis's character trying to get a raise. 
because <laughs> he's saying how whereas Willis isn't David Willis is playing a character named David Dunn and he is just trying to find out if he's actually ever been sick or not he's not angling for more money yeah that's right a um, little scene and I like the touch too that um you know his instinct because again, he's not aware of the fact that he sort of has certain powers, um, but his natural instinct is to work as as a security guard, mm. you know, where he can take care of people and he can protect people. And as a security guard, uh, in inclement weather, he wears this rain poncho, and the rain poncho is in effect his uniform and sort of his cape. You know, the, his superhero mm. cape. Mm. Um, and I, I just love that touch. It was, there was a very nice subtlety to it. Well, that was a film that was far better than, and, and M. Night Shyamalan eventually had the one with uh, Mel Gibson signs. Right. It was actually, after looking at some of the stuff that M. Night Shyamalan came out with after, made signs look even a better film than it was. Um, because eventually there are other films that he did just didn't quite, Make of a Science is a pretty strong film, even though it's not a Bruce Willis connection. It's definitely Unbreakable, um, which I did not like as much as Sixth Sense, and I felt it was. But then over the years, I've grown to appreciate it more because it's actually that good a film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some of those, some of the later uh, M. Night films that are, you, you can almost like just, lose the final 10 minutes you don't need the the twist and the film i'm thinking of in particular is the village mm. um i don't know if you've seen that one or oh, not david okay i mean it is quite good but then the final 10 minutes gets a little bit ham-handed in sort of uh trying to present the twist and you don't need it it's a fine film on its own and i i, I won't get into it it's been a while since i've seen it so um I don't want to give improper information about it, but, or incorrect information, but, uh, uh, yeah, those early films like Sixth Sense and Unbreakable certainly do stand up. Um, the next one on our list, uh, you might want to talk about this because I have a feeling that this, this is near and dear to your heart. It is. And it's funny that you pick up on that because uh, it really is. Well, first of all, Sin City is the film. Uh, he plays Hardigan, uh, a police detective, um, and with a heart of gold. And uh, it was it was based on uh, Frank Miller's um, graphic novel series or comic series um, that's really like based on like film noir. Mm -hmm. So the entire uh, visuals for the, for the graphics for the, for the comic series are black and white. And in fact, it's that kind of black and white where it's white uh, on, on black paper. So it, the page is predominantly black rather than predominantly white. Um, it has a great look to it. And um, Robert Rodriguez uh, was the director or co-director for it. Uh, and they really brought the graphic novel together beautifully. Like it looks just like mm. the comic and it has this whole hard boiled, like over the top hard boiled mm. film noir thing going on. It's a really some narration, good... right? There's some actual narration going on. I believe so. Yeah. And it's what they did was they, uh, it's sort of an anthology within itself with all of the stories happening in sin city. Um, and, uh, 
he's great in it. He's, he is so good. He being Bruce Willis, of course, uh, as Hardigan. And, and what I picked up on, because this is something that Frank Miller loves. He loves that old gritty uh, sort of, uh, you know, like man's man type of ethos. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the character Hardigan is very close, or it felt to me very close to uh, Frank Miller's version of Batman from uh, The Dark Knight Returns, which he created in the uh, mid-1980s. And that version was sort of the thing that that recreated Batman for the world, where it made him super edgy um, Mm -hmm. and somewhat psychotic, um, and super dark, like thus the dark and dark night. So this Hardikin character felt a lot like that Batman version. And it actually, my takeaway from the film, like I, I love it from beginning to end, but my takeaway was I want Bruce Willis to play an older Batman at some point. And unfortunately, I don't think that will ever happen, but I think he would have been ideal to play the, the Batman from Frank Miller's uh uh, dark night. Everything's gone straight to hell. I've been suckered into betraying the only friend I've got and put her in the hands of a murdering rapist I thought I'd put down for good. Suckered by a spoiled brat, son of a senator. It's all gone to hell. Yeah, um, yeah, I think Sim City was just, um, uh, fabulous. One of the things, and of course, Benicio del Toro was great. Brittany Murphy, Clive Owen. Now, what was a standout for me, and of course, Bruce Willis, Mickey Rourke, uh, Jessica Alba, so on. But Elijah Wood. Oh, so creepy. Like, wow. Yeah, How do you yeah, he do was. that role? How do you do after whatever it was? Was he in The Hobbit, right? Yes. And then he does this role it's like wow yeah 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 it was really disturbing oh and i guess it was lord of the rings not hobbit i'm Just sorry to... excuse me that's what i meant yeah. which but he was yeah he was he was a hobbit <laughs> yes absolutely um but he was the the star of those three films which were sensational and then he plays this character in sin city which was about as far away from the character he played in the Lord of the Rings, um, uh, Frodo, I guess. Yeah. And I, I want to say too about Sin City, it's one of those few films where uh, the world of the film visually was so stunning uh, and I was so caught up in it that not one point during the film did my mind wander you know usually if i'm watching a film and like a character like drops off a letter in the mailbox i'll think of like oh man i've got gonna mail that letter you know i'll I'll at some point jump out of the film but with sin city i was so immersed i was also like that with uh peter jackson's king kong i was so caught up in that film Uh, and that doesn't often happen where i'm i'm so thoroughly immersed um, anyway, that was Sin City from 2005. Yeah, yeah, and, and other than um, Elijah Wood, also a very dark, very bad character that really gets under your skin is the one played by Benicio Del Toro, 
And that's also a standout. And and the whole idea, from what I recall, it was in black and white, white, right? Like it, there was no color in the. No, I think there were a couple of moments. Um, there was a character called that yellow bastard, which is also yes, yes, yes. which is also a um, uh, one of the story segments yeah, to yeah. the film. Uh, he was yellow, I believe. Uh, yeah, so- he, things don't work out well for him. <laughs> no not at all out very well no so that yellow bastard i think was yellow and i think there were a couple of like splashes of like blood occasionally but yep yeah primarily was all black and white and it and worked it, very well it's it's uh it's almost like dark man and some other every so often you've got a film that just works perfectly in mostly black and white than um using color now and, and mickey rourke was perfectly cast too He's very good in that. Yeah. Now, I didn't see this one. The next one on my list is from 2006. Uh, the Astronaut Farmer, which gets a 6.3 rating, which is one of the lower ones for... The th- have you heard or have seen The Astronaut? Farmer? No, I was as I was going through uh, Bruce Willis's filmography, uh, I saw that and I was like, oh, I do not recall that. I had a look at the synopsis and it did not ring a bell at all. No worries. Let's move on because we've got basically seven minutes left, but um, but we'll obviously go a bit longer than our 15-minute plan. The next one, and this one I'm afraid I've only seen bits of, but it's rated very highly, and I'm sure that it's it's something that I would like if I got around to seeing it. And that's also tied in with the next one. But did you want to talk about Grindhouse at all? Uh, well, sure. I, I actually do quite like uh, the Grindhouse films. Um so Grindhouse was the double bill put together by um, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, mm. um, which was sort of celebrating their love of those low budget 70s exploitation films. Um, so Grindhouse consisted of Planet Terror and Death Proof. So Planet Terror was Rodriguez's film, his contribution to Grindhouse. And uh, Death Proof was Tarantino's film. And Planet Terror basically is a uh, a sort of a zombie story. Uh, Rose McGowan is incredible in that. She ends up uh, losing a leg and replacing the leg with a machine gun. Um, And uh, Bruce Willis plays Lieutenant Muldoon. I I definitely need to rewatch it. Um, It's it's gross. It's uh, and lots of fun. I'm walking out of here with a shit ray. Let us go. Tell me why we should. Because I earned it. How you figure that? You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. A termite's nest in caves on the Afghan border. Me and my men walking around with our dicks in our hands, and our balls in our throats, looking for America's most wanted. Bin Laden. Yeah. For once, our intel was right on the money. I come around a corner, bam, there he is, looking me right in the eyes. Wait. You killed Bin Laden? I put two in his heart. One on his computer. So that was you? Yeah. That was me. Sounds good. So let's move on. This is one that I actually like, um, but it's not rated that highly, is Surrogates from 2009. Because it stars Bruce Willis, but also has one of my favorite um, um, actresses, Rosamund Pike. Oh, yes. She's great. And I do like the idea of this, of taking your, your conscience, consciousness or your, what, what makes you who you are 
either download it or be able to be in some be act like a surrogate or have it into a robot body or do something like that it's been a while since i've seen the film so i'm a bit light on um what happens it would it just seemed like it was a, it flowed well it worked well it just didn't quite have the power or the things of other ones like Looper, Sin City, or Unbreakable, or The Sixth Sense. But it's not an awful. It's a, and it doesn't sound like the greatest recommendation for watching the film. <laughs> <laughs> but it actually is worth seeing. And if you are a Rosamund Pike film uh, um, fan, because um, I do like her in the movie Doom. Um, and I think she's been in other um, films. I do like her in uh, the Jack Reacher uh, uh, film with Tom Cruise and, and so on. So she's just an excellent actress. And I prefer Doom over uh, Surrogates, but I, I, I think Surrogates might be worth another look, I think. Yeah, I think I'll, I will actually look for that. I, I did want to mention as well that in 2007, there was, uh, I guess, the third or no, fourth the fourth sequel to Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, and uh, in that was uh, Justin Long, Kevin Smith, mm. uh, Timothy Oliphant was the mm. uh, villain. And I believe, oh, David, help me out here. Mary Winstead, what's her last Mary name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's right. Mary Elizabeth Winstead played his daughter in it. Um, I may have and, to get another look because that one I think was one of the stronger sequels in it. Because that's the one with has this estranged son who knows computers, or am I getting that's the one? Well, that's that, I don't. I, I don't. It was a very yeah. strong film. Yeah, yeah. And Kevin Smith was hilarious in it. Who I I, I love everything Kevin Smith has has done. So he's more of a Star Wars guy. Uh, he's Star he's Wars kidding. guy. Who is this man? He's my hey, dump truck. I'm not his dad. I'm a cop. How about that? I'm oh, a, police a sir. cop. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Why'd you bring a cop into my command center? <laughs> command center. It's a basement. It's a command Don't center. Don't help McLean. I can explain. Just tell us what you know about Thomas Gabriel, all right? That's why we came here. Thomas Gabriel. That's hey. cool. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Get out! I want you whoa, out whoa, of here, whoa, whoa, Right now. Hey, 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 hey calm down. Just, just calm down, big boy. You calm down. It's my house. You're going to tell me what I want to know, or I'm going to beat you to death in your own house. And, and Kevin Smith actually directed a film with uh, Tracy Morgan and uh, Bruce Willis called Cop Out, uh, which I don't think did very well. But there's some hilarious stories about Bruce Willis hanging out with Kevin Smith and how Kevin Smith was totally intimidated because he loves he loves Bruce Willis. So mm-hmm. he was but he was like, you know, it's like I'm sitting beside the coolest man on earth. You know, how do I how do I do anything when I'm sitting beside Bruce motherfucking Willis? Well, even um, stars have their are our fanboys or fan girls. Remember when we were talking about how uh, Jason Momoa had kind of a man crush on Josh Brolin? Yeah, yeah. Um, that there are these stars. Uh, Kevin Smith was no slouch, and he's done a lot of a lot of things and. He is fairly well known, but he himself has his own, like everyone sure. should have a yeah. wish well, to meet Bruce Willis. Well, you know how, you know, um, and in terms of music, you know, Tom Waits, I think most people think of as like probably one of the coolest people mm. on earth. Yeah. And uh, so there's a story about how Jacob Dylan 
of Wall, Wallflower's fame, also son of Bob Dylan, um, was sort of uh, starstruck by Tom Waits. And, but, you know, he introduced himself and the two started getting along. And I think he said, why don't you come over uh, sometime? And Tom Waits did. And while he was there, uh, Bob Dylan came by and Tom Waits became starstruck. It's like, Mm. that's your dad. That's Bob Dylan. He's like, yeah, it was no big deal. It's just my dad. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so there you go. Everybody has somebody like that, I guess. I wonder who it is for Bruce Willis. I'm not sure. I have a feeling I know that one of your your uh, your sort of starstruck with any member, past, present, or future of the Beatles, and we do have to work in eventually a Beatles epi- uh, reference in this, uh, <laughs> epi- in this podcast. I actually had one earlier, and I forgot about it, and uh, it may be gone. But yeah, um, oh, no. we might have to add it to post. So we got about a minute 20 left, but that's not the end of the, that's just a 15 minute mark. All right. It can go a bit longer. And, and we are kind of getting towards the end because this might be his strong of his last 10 years. Cause this film came out in 20, the one we're going to talk about came out in 2012. So that's, we're recording this in 2022. So this is 10 years ago. And this made a bit of a splash and is one of his strong, stronger films is Looper. So you're me in 30 years. Sun's down into your eyes. It's too strange. Your face looks backwards. Do you know what's going to happen? You done all this already? As me? I don't want to talk about time travel. We both know how this has to go down. So why don't you do what old men do and die? Why don't you just take your little gun out from between your legs and do it? Boy. In the future, time travel is outlawed used only in secret by the largest criminal organizations when they need someone gone and they want to erase any trace of the target ever existing they use specialized assassins like me called loopers you're a looper you know what we do and the only rule is never let your target escape even if your target is you Looper, it's been a while. It's been 10 years since I've actually seen it. So I'm even trying, other than the idea, the concept of it being involving time travel, the idea that this person or whoever it was, the, 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 the son or the younger person, someone would show up in this corn, like not a cornfield, but they would show up and the per, and they would have a, a, a thing on their head and they would basically, your job is once this, this whoever it is shows up your job is to shoot that person or or dispose of them which is just such an odd and strange concept uh and that's really all i remember it other than of course you know that what's going to happen the person's going to show up is either you from the future or your own father or someone that you know and you're not going to go through it sort of like the transporter excuse me the, the transporter film where where uh, Jason Statham decides to open up the trunk of the car. And part of his rules were not to look at the package or to do anything. So here was someone, I think, in Looper who was supposed to do something but didn't. Uh, and then and what and, uh, entails after that. But I definitely have yeah. to see it again to try to understand or follow the... the and I can't remember the actor, the, the actor that played the... Um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? 
Yes, who was really good. Like, like I really yeah. like him as an actor. Like, I do. And e- Emily Blunt was also in it. We both oh are big. Goodness. We're both big fans of Emily Blunt oh my and yeah. Jeff Daniels as well, who is on a lot of my lists. Like, well, he was in Purple Rose of Cairo and Newsroom, and I guess currently he is playing. Um, oh, just, who, who's the main character in um, To Kill a Mockingbird? Holy short memories! Oh, Atticus Finch. Right, he's he's playing Atticus Finch on. Uh, oh, of course, on Broadway. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. No, I'd heard about that. That's something that that Alex and I would love to see at some point. Heard to- what I want to do is I want to hear what you have to say about Looper. Well, I would echo everything you said. Basically, I loved it when it came out. It was um, it was lauded uh, as being you know one of the the best sci fi films of of you know, a couple of years there uh, in the early 2010s. And um, it really lived up to that, I thought, to to all that praise. Um, and again, great cast. And uh, that's the thing, you know, I, I find that a lot of, uh, a lot of Bruce Willis's choices in terms mm. of scripts in, in the past 10 years have been excellent, mm. uh, you know, around the same time. I'm just wanting to double check the actual year here. Um, yeah, also in 2012, um, he did Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson film, which is yeah, hilarious. I'm adding you that know. to my list because it, it does have almost this magic kind of yeah, magic realism to thing. it. Yeah. Um, and that's a good film. And that's the thing. That's what I mean. Obviously, you want, <laughs> you want, you know, everybody out there to be well. But what it saddens me that you know, based on some of the decisions he's been making, like Moonrise Kingdom, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to get to see uh, Bruce Willis do these wonderful, quirky sort of films as he uh, moves through his later years. And uh, it looks like we are not going to get that opportunity. So we'll have to um, enjoy the ones that we have. Yeah, certainly for choice of roles and and what she's able to do with those roles, uh, Bruce Willis has done a great job every so often you know those act like tom hanks who can almost do nothing wrong the only thing that was a bit odd and it's not really his fault was the lady killers reboot which the original film with alec guinness is such a a great british film of of, i think the 1950s remember uh, the lady killers yeah and you would think that with him in it and it being a coen brothers film that you would think that it would have been great considering how many great film the coen brothers have done and tom hanks with philadelphia with forrest gump even more recently with captain phillips sully and a whole string of films like tom hanks always delivers so our podcast about bruce willis um at retrospective um has turned into a tom hanks one but that's okay <laughs> Uh, nothing wrong with that. Oh, and by the way, we are, let's just finish off these ones. Now, sure. I have not seen. Yeah, we're winding um, I did, down. I did see the original G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra, and this there was a G.I. Joe in 2013 called G.I. Joe Retaliation, where he played General Joe Colton. I assume it's a similar character. Maybe he's new to that film. I'm not sure if he was in the original G.I. Joe one. Um, but I don't know if you've seen that or the Sin City, a dame. I have to say, uh, yeah, Sin City, a dame for uh, a dame. <laughs> let me start again. Sin City, a dame to kill for. Uh, not quite as good as the original. Um, and I believe he reprises Hardigan, but I think most of that 
uh, is done because spoiler, the character dies in the first one. So I guess it was like flashbacks. Um, so there's not a lot of him in it, but uh, it's what you get is great. I love the character again. And then we get, um, we get the continuation of the uh, unbreakable trilogy uh, with 2019's glass, uh, which brings together his character um now david what's the name of the guy from uh that was in split who was also in the x-men and james mcavoy um and uh yeah we we get that trilogy sort of wrapping up with these three characters that we've seen uh previously have you uh, seen glass i have i, I would like to see it again because it's been a, a little bit I'm, uh, of time Do you recommend it because i missed that one but it did look i mean the previews looked like it would be um uh good yeah it's uh it's it's a nice universe i i was blown away by split actually when when split begins about uh basically a uh a killer with like multiple split personalities i think there's like 19 different um variations on the self that um <laughs> i've already forgotten it david was it james mcavoy mcavoy yeah james mcavoy's performance in it is just incredible um so and, and so that film is going on and you don't even i didn't realize that it was attached to the unbreakable universe and um as the film goes on you do realize it and it's like, Oh fuck. Yes. Uh, and then glass sort of brings it all together. Um, yeah. I, I really like all three of those films that probably prefer them. Like, you know, the first one best, the second one, second best, and then uh, glass uh, third, but uh, it's still a great watch. And it's great to have uh, uh, Bruce back playing that character. Yeah, it's such a great concept and a great idea. So that's what we've got for Bruce Willis. And he's done, of course, stuff outside of the science fiction, fantasy, and horror ones. And some people count things like Die Hard or Red, but that's more like spy or more action and doesn't quite have the same science fiction fantasy or horror elements ah but i just i just yeah go ahead sorry david i just wanted to say there is one that i almost forgot that i just noticed my notes here this i would have loved to have seen in 2015 bruce willis was in the broadway version of misery um and and he plays the writer character um, and the reviews were quite good, as I recall. So I don't know if there's any video of that, but can you imagine Bruce Willis playing the um, James Caan? James Caan was in was the, the 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 guy who was exercising with the typewriter, lifting it up and down to build muscle. Um, but James Caan, that's one of his best roles, actually, in Misery. Yeah. So can you imagine uh, Bruce Willis playing that role on Broadway? I can. Yeah. Yeah. I can because I think he would be great in it like like he could do anything definitely well i think it would be appropriate to uh well first of all say you know hopefully uh mr willis stays well does well yeah um if we're lucky maybe we'll, we will get to see uh more from him uh if not we should be thankful for the great body of work that we have here and uh 
in a very respectful way, I would say, yippee ki motherfuckers. Absolutely. Well said. There is a website called what to what w h a t t o w a t c h dot com. What to what Bruce Willis, a top 10 movie quotes. The actor is a one man walking quip machine, but what are your favorite lines? This is by Heidi Rice. It was published just seven days ago. So these are his top 10. Number one, of course, is yippee Kaye motherfucker. Number that is the number one. Number two is nine million terrorists in the world, and I gotta kill one with feet smaller than my sister. <laughs> Which of course we know that's from Die Hard. Yeah. Number three, I don't effing believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice, which is Die Hard 2? There was a number four, Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. And that is in Pulp Fiction. And the question is, who the heck was Zed? Um, Matt Farrell says, you just killed a helicopter with a car. And John McClane says, I was out of bullets. <laughs> um, yeah. Number six, you would recognize. I ain't gonna kill him. I'm just gonna take a foot off of him. A man can work with one foot, and that's of course from um, Armageddon. It's a very compassionate point of view. Yes. Hey, well, as far as I'm concerned, a progress. Uh, I'm excuse me. Progress peaked with frozen pizza, which is a line from. Uh, it says here in Die Hard Two. Um, I can get behind that sentiment. Yeah. A welcome to the party, pal, which was from Die Hard. And I think you may have mentioned this um, earlier. Uh, maybe you need a drink to ease the pain of being wrong is a line he had from Striking Distance. In the final, uh, the 10th quote from this um, article that I had mentioned was from whattowatch.com. Uh, written by Heidi Rice, which was just published just seven days ago. The uh, number 10 quote is, now don't get me wrong, I'm all for conversation, but maybe you could just shut up for a moment. And that is from The Fifth Element. So those are sort of what uh, Heidi Rice had listed as her top 10 movie quotes, but certainly Bruce Willis in his various films has been quite quotable. Definitely. Um, so let me just see where we're going to finish off this podcast. Thank you so much for suggesting this episode, just because of the recent news about um, Bruce Willis. This was recorded in early April, and we had just heard in late March about uh, Bruce Willis's situation, about have, him having to retire from acting um, due to having aphasia. And we just and and thanks, Troy, for suggesting that we should just quickly talk about some of our uh, favorite films of Bruce Willis that are you know science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So that is our Bruce Willis retrospective. Where there's a Willis, there's a way. Remember to look for us on all of our socials, uh, your fave podcast provider. Uh, our website is numeric2of.ca. Um, Facebook, we are Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. Please tell a friend, uh, like and subscribe if you can. Um, we appreciate any sort of uh, feedback that you want to give us as well. 
I am David Kling. And I am Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. Talk sci-fi.